When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, I'm Jimmy Bullard, and this is me old muck of Venice. We're back together, son. How are you? Hi, Bully. Great to be back working with you. Well, what are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. Why are we doing this? For the love of the game, mate. For the love of rugby. For the love of Ireland being bloody brilliant. For the love of Big Joe McCarthy, Finn Russell Scotland, England's five lads on debut, how good, up the boys, Italy scoring three great tries, Wales nearly coming back. For the love of the Six Nations, this is our first ever Monday morning review. Round one, let's go. Right, my old mucker, Dan Cole, is on his way back from Rome after trotting on and getting a little 20-minute cameo at the weekend and doing a fantastic job. We've subbed in the one and only Mike Brown, downtown Brown, Bizzle, the angriest man to ever play fullback, but he's also England's most capped fullback. Our first ever guest as well, might I say. So well done, Brownie. What a, what a little privilege that is. Yeah, no, I'm loving it that you, uh, you and Cole are doing this, but I, I know what's happened here. You've gone through the list of of who's available, the guys are in an international camp or they're in Dubai, so you've come up with me instead. No, no, no. <laughs> it's actually because you and Coley have very similar features, don't you, Brownie? Apparently so, if uh, you were sat in that team meeting where you absolutely mugged me off. but Right, we are looking at a review clip. The ball is moving from right to left. There's this guy on the wide channels, bald, running this short line. He has no idea what he's doing. You can see he's totally out of position. The space bar gets hit on the laptop. The coach goes, lads, what do we reckon to this? Turns around, looks at me. I look at him and he goes, yeah, Brownie's just got to do a lot better job of getting his width there. Honestly. Only to realise it was in fact <laughs> Daniel Richard Cole. Absolutely mugged me off. <laughs> um, but this is one of the things you can't live down now. We've also got Tom Fordyce, Joe Marler's co-host for his podcast, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Ben. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too, Mike. I mean, there's no chance at all of getting me mixed up with Big Joe. He's a man at least three times my body weight. But listen, there are lots of stuff already, even though this is our first Monday morning pod. We have a lot of questions from listeners. They want to have their say in these review episodes. Just look out for Love of Rugby on socials. Couple to start us off with, boys. One from Andrew Upton, who says... He loved the simple Italian phase play at the weekend. Philip Brown said his highlight of the weekend was two lads having a chat about lawnmowers. Harry says, Italy looking genuinely good is making for a tasty tournament. The wooden spoon is not a done deal. And here's one for you, maybe, Ben, to start us off with. This is from Cat Eastope. Cat asks, what did Ben think of England's debutantes? Oh, I like them. Thanks for the question, Cat. I thought, um, you know what, uh, Fraser Dingwall's had a, Awesome season so far for Saints and has been probably knocking at the door for, for a long time. He's been in many of squads. Um, so it was great to see him get out there. He really sort of just was really solid in that 12 position, given he'd never played with George 
on the inside of him. Um, and I don't think he'd ever played with, with Slady either, Henry Slade. So I thought he slotted in really, really nicely. Good to see Finn Smith get out there. You know, it was refreshing. I can't remember the last time England probably had five Davidsons. Stuart, when he first started, he had, he had a few, didn't he? Uh, first game against Scotland in 2012, there's quite a few in there, weren't there? Yeah, there was quite a few when he took over, weren't there? But um, the good thing is they didn't stand out for the wrong reasons, which is what you always look for with the uh, first cap guys. They either did their job like Dingwall did, or they stood out like, because Ethan Roots, he, he did well, didn't he? He got uh, player of the match. I thought he was really impressive. England aren't blessed with ball carries at the moment, but I thought he added a bit of dynamism in that back row in terms of his carry. Was able to, um, you know, make metres and, and be aggressive and abrasive. And, and I think he probably got, a, he, you know, rightly so, had a, had a great debut. England can build on the back of that. You know, they found someone there that can add a bit of um, go forward, a bit of carry, which doesn't always come so easily um, getting momentum at the moment right Ben hold those horses we are going to do loads more on England later but I think bearing in mind that this was the game that started the whole Six Nations weekend we should probably begin today with France Ireland now we knew this was going to be a massive game and in some ways I was I don't know not disappointed that it was the first match but it's such a massive match you almost want to have a bit of build up first don't you so where should we start here Ben Ireland brilliant France Massively underwhelming, somewhere in between. I feel like that fixture should be later on in the tournament whilst teams sort of get momentum and get games and consistency under them. Because for me, Ireland looked outstanding and slick and so clear about what they were trying to do, where I just didn't see that from the French, which was really surprising. I thought France in Marseille, Friday night, I just I just thought it was gonna be an absolute cracker and and it still was many in many aspects of the game was great, but Ireland were just so dominant. I just didn't I didn't see it coming such a result in terms of the dominance that Ireland showed with and without the ball. And France just kind of they kind of reminded me of France of old, where I wasn't really too sure what they were maybe doing. And if I was playing France this week and I was trying to analyze, uh, do analysis of them, I'd be struggling to kind of work out exactly what their tactics were. And and sometimes you think, well, is that Ireland doing a magnificent job in terms of nullifying what their strengths were and taking it away from France, or was it the simple fact that France just weren't quite where they need to be. I mean, ironically, the best France looked was about five minutes into the game where Jalabert ran it back, got a bit of momentum. They moved it down to the right edge, bit of slick passing, Peno gets tackled into, into touch, come back for a penalty. But that was five minutes into the game. And then after that, there was next to nothing, really. I was super excited about this being the first game, to be honest. Like, both set such high standards over the last however many years, last few years. And I just came away disappointed, mainly because France was so disappointing. The main thing for me was their defence. They've set such high standards with Sean Edwards in their defence since they've been on this the rise that they've been on. It was just like all over the place, wasn't it? It wasn't physical. They weren't setting the line quick enough. They weren't getting in the line quick enough. There's guys being lazy. All the stuff you said about the, the old French and Ireland were just efficient at picking them off. Yeah, I think when you look at Ireland, I mean, they naturally have a lot of cohesion because so many of them play at Leinster together. So that cohesion's already built. So there's a real understanding about individuals and how they play and how they want to do and their traits and all that, where France reminded me of, of a bit like England at times, where you've got so many clubs coming together to then try and play the French way or the English way. And that cohesion, it just wasn't there. And I just, that's probably the biggest thing, wasn't it? The expectation of France is now very, very high. So when they perform like that, it's kind of like, whoa, what's going on there? And as you said, Sean Edwards, I mean, the, the boys are probably getting it this week in terms of that because I felt like they were passive in D and high and, and just not not a Sean Edwards DNA sort of defence, was it? But also the big talking point going into the game was um, which team would cover for their kind of superstar talisman the best, as in DuPont for France and Sexton for Ireland. France, 
didn't deal with that too well by the looks of it. But whereas Ireland, they did. I thought that Jack Crowley was was brilliant. You know, the way he marshaled the team around. He was putting guys through holes. Tactically, Ireland were brilliant at the start of the game. Played the game in their half. They won a penalty early, went to the corner. And, you know, you're not necessarily going to push over France there. But what you are, you're spending time in their half. You're taking time away. You're taking out the crowd. You know, they can't hurt you from that far out. But the biggest thing for Ireland is the speed of ball they get when they attack and then the speed of which they slow the opposition down. So Ireland play with great sort of layered attack, tight connected attack, which is really flat, lots of options, and it just sort of gets really quick momentum, speed of ball, and it's gone again, speed of ball, it's gone again, little shapes. Then vice versa, when France come in Ireland, I mean, France just could not, for love or money, get any speed of ball. They did once, just when Penno scored, but that was on the back of four, sort of picking and going, and everything like that. But other than that, I thought Ireland's just dominant around the breakdown. It's, it's phenomenal, to be honest with you. I think it's a real sort of blueprint in terms of New Zealand have always been world leading in terms of what they do at the breakdown. And I'm looking at Ireland thinking that is, you know, that is some well-oiled machine with the ball and without it because it's very difficult to stop them when they have it and very difficult to then generate quick ball when, when you're running at them. You know what it's like though, Ben, if you've got that layered attack with so many options and you're a jackaler, you've got nowhere to target because you don't know where the ball's going to go. That's the whole thing, especially when you're playing that press D that France have got. There's no easy shots for the defence to take that then puts the, the Irish on the back foot. Then you can go for that jackal there. But also you just got no one to target because there's so many numbers to check as a defensive line. Absolutely, mate. I just don't see the fact that there's so many moving parts to what they do, but they all have the ability to ball play and make great options that, as you say, for a jackaler, you know, the first thing foremost is he's suddenly having to actually D and make decisions rather than sort of simple patterns in front of him where he can just know that the person attacking is straight over the top of the ball, trying jackals. France are, are stacked full of it. But one thing about the jackal that I thought Ireland did really, really clever, the first three strikes they had off lineouts, they went to the width. So they either did a dummy maul where the, the ball comes down, the insert comes into the guy who's not the nine, they come in and they pass it away. But the first strike they did, they did a five-man lineout off the top, hit Keenan Doris at first. So you're thinking a lot of teams would hit the eight and, and truck it up right. No. Chucks a, a lovely pass of his left hand about 10 metres and they run like a Brumby shape, which is a hit a centre and another centre coming short, but they actually hit Josh van der Fleer. He comes short, go out the bat. Anyway, they get quick ball there. But the other thing as well on that is Jalabert was at 13, Brownie, wasn't he? Jalabert's at 13 for France. So they've got away from all their jackalers and all that tail line outs. They've suddenly got to, I suppose, about five, six metres outside post got into that centre seam. Then they've generated rapid ball, great ball by Gibson Park, straight in front of two forwards, flat of the line, hands up, sucking defenders. And then they get onto that seam with uh, Bundiaki, where they get between the winger and the fullback, plays it back inside, try. But actually defending as a fullback, knowing when to close, when to sit off and that, they, they just manipulate it so cleverly. But I'd love to know what, what a fullback can do differently there to try and not create that seam as such. Yeah, I think firstly, that's super smart from Ireland, like noticing where... Jalabert's defended and they've obviously the French have hidden him there because he's you know not, not the biggest guy so they've firstly targeted that just as a fullback obviously France play that high press big line speed defence and with that you usually if you're a team playing that you want your fullback sort of joining that front line defence as early as possible to kind of thicken that out and then it allows the wingers to get even higher what's happened there is um, Ramos hasn't fully come to join the front line but he's also not deep in the backfield. So he's like kind of caught in between two. Like you said, has created that sort of seam for Bundiaki to then target and get the ball away. Whereas Ramos should have been right up and he could probably have shut that down, even though they had, I think they had one extra player. So they had one man over that. But if the 15's high, like he probably should have been in that sort of defensive system, he would have shut that down and then that would have created a ruck and, and shut the uh, attack down. But he didn't. 
And then, um, yeah, like you said, it created that sort of dog leg scene. Being a fullback, the anticipation of knowing when to close and when to sit off and give you time is is such an incredible skill because we saw it on that instance on, on, in that game between France and Ireland, but also uh, Italy, England, which we'll touch on, but a very similar sort of targeting that channel and fullback slightly disconnected. And then suddenly they're in behind you and then they just pick you off and it's very, very difficult. And then if you look at the second try, again, it comes off the back of just that tightness and layered shape. So they've got the pot of three, Crowley just hits them up. They just literally truck it to regenerate the ball, looking for three, two, three second ball straight at him. He's got two options on the inside. He's got low out the back and he's got tied burn on a short line. But the pass is we're talking three, four meters away from each other. And then Dante sat there and he's thinking, right, I've got tied burn running at my inside shoulder. I've got low on the on my outside shoulder at the back of tied burn. So I even need to check tied burn coming short and get out the back and then pressure James Low, who's also got Keenan coming on the outside of him. So he's got literally three people he's trying to, in seconds, to go, right, do I hit the short guy? If I hit the short guy and turn in, Crowley goes out the back to low, then that space gets bigger and they peel around the back of that. So he doesn't. He sits there, he hedges his bets and thinks, oh, I'm just going to go because it's going to go out the back to low. It doesn't. Great little ball by Crowley. And then it goes short, tight burn, inside shoulders. Again, they make it look simple because you look at it from a fan's point of view, right? And they probably go, you know, that's that's too easy, right? But the art of their attack and how tight it is and how many options, it makes it look easy. It's not easy. Dante's a wonderful defender. They just, their attack right now is just on point and it's just options at the line, tight connect, and it's extremely hard to defend. I think that's a case of France being poor as opposed to Ireland being really good because I think France for the last few years would have shut that down. Like it looks nice, it looks quite pretty, but France with their normal prestige, you know, setting early, getting off the line, putting pressure on the ball players, not getting beaten on your inside shoulder, all those, I say simple, but the basics of that high press D that France normally have, they would have never conceded that try. It looked too easy and it was too easy. Obviously, I back my argument in terms of how great attack it is, but I also agree that the, the, the French defence that we saw at the weekend will not be the same defence that we expect to see come the end of the tournament. And in fact, we won't see the same this weekend. But like I said, I just, I really enjoy watching the amount of options that Ireland are having at the moment. And then France then got themselves yeah. back in the game, didn't they? You know, they're, they're down a man, they go to the corner, then they quick tap. You know, they're obviously having line out problems, again, which is tactically smart by Ireland because in the first half or until the, the red, they were long and on. So keeping the ball in play, trying to create fatigue in the French team, not giving them set piece, not giving them a chance to maul them. So keeping the ball on, keeping the ball on, boom, red card. What do they do? Anytime they're in 22, get it off, get it off, go to line out, disrupt, get burned in the air, beat Omani and do all that and give French headaches. It's just nous. And I thought, yeah, smart. again, their leaders, their James Lowe, big cannon of a boot and the variety of how they got out, kept them guessing. And it's just, just smart rugby. And I just think they kind of then, France then kind of, just couldn't really find a way in. Mate, can you imagine Sean Edwards in French camp this week? <laughs> I was just thinking there, like, have you seen that clip on um, social media that came up recently of Sean Edwards in a team meeting in, in the French camp and he's like half English, half French. And he's like, in our own half, kick the fucking ball. And then there's Alibert just sat behind him just like this, like, not sure what to do. Mate, can you imagine him this week in meetings and in training? I reckon they're going to be completely different. Yeah. Oh my God. Like defence coaches take it personally. He has got a phenomenal record oh. and he, he there's no part that he'd be happy about what he what was produced on Friday night. We talked a little bit about DuPont at the top of the show. Yes. And in some ways you can't replace the best player in the world. Whoever comes in is going to struggle. But you really noticed it on Friday, didn't you? There were points where France would go to DuPont in a situation like that when their backs were against the wall. 
and they're not playing particularly well. And Dupont's got the ability to do something different, to to switch things around. And you really noticed his absence in those moments, didn't you? You did. You really noticed it. It was evident. You know, Penno's amazing, like, pull rabbit out of hats, right? And so is Dupont. Dupont is that guy. He's their talisman. The drop-off was huge, right? I mean, like I said, Ireland's work around the breakdown is phenomenal. It slows you up. They're harassing him. But my gosh, I just, you know, France just kept going down short sides. They weren't getting any pay there. Luca was getting stragged at the breakdown. The ball's squirting out. You know, for Bordeaux, uh, he's a very tidy, composed player. I don't know where the occasion got to him. You know, if you are behind Dupont, who in my opinion is on another planet, right? You know he's away. It's you then your opportunity to then fulfil his shoes, knowing that you're essentially keeping the jersey until he gets back. That is an added pressure already, right? You know, you're never going to get to his level, but you, you want to make sure that you do your role right and, and there's not a big drop-off, but there was it was a huge drop-off. So be interesting to see what Gautier does this weekend, actually. You know, France do have an abundance of nines, but none of them are as good as Anton Dupont. That's the thing with Dupont. He's so good. When France have been bad, they haven't been as bad as they were um, on Friday, but when they have been a bit off, he's just like pulled something ridiculous out, out of his backside basically and then <laughs> then they all like suddenly energize off that they were probably looking around going who's gonna be our guy yeah but usually that backup nine is not that bad though is he but it's dupont <laughs> he's so good such big pressure on him but it, he's usually tidy one thing i will say brownie is obviously luca and jalabert played together week in week out of bordeaux and actually at the weekend you wouldn't have known that would you if you, if you you know if you didn't know your rugby you would not have known that they're a halfback pairing that play week in week out together big pressure it does mad things to players doesn't it and Jalabert's a real free flowing 10 he's a, he's a guy that likes to zing it around you know he's someone that epitomises French flair but I didn't even sense that so you know I feel like we're, we're going after French a little bit which we don't mind um, but we're going to take a little ad break and when we come back we will go through Italy, England and of course the bonkers game which was Wales versus Scotland here at Mindset Win we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests we will hear stories strategies tips and tricks told by leading names in sport and beyond who know what it takes to get to the very top there will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Right, Tom, we got any more questions? We must have some more questions, mate, surely. Ben, we have plenty. This is one from Richard Clay and Richard says, Why do coaches bring players on when there's only two minutes of a game left? How does that feel as a player? Oh, good question. You know what, sometimes... And they put you on, you feel like saying, why? Like, there's no point. I feel coaches feel like the game's won. I wasn't prepared to put them on. Um, but now I know it's won. I'll get them on there. Do you get your payment now, regardless of whether you get on the pitch? You do, yes. Regardless whether you get on or not, you, you get paid. Can you imagine that? You'd be like, get me on that pitch. <laughs> At least as a nine, you know you're pretty much going on. Like, they always change a nine, don't they? Yeah. If you're an outside back cover on the bench, oh, honestly, you're usually the last back to go on. And if they're worried about any injuries, they won't put you on because they don't want to waste the last back substitute. I've been on the bench covering back three or outside backs before and getting on for the last two minutes. I'm literally watching the clock. And I'm getting more and more seething and fuming. I just sat there seething like, oh, I'm not getting on, I'm not getting on. 
and then you get put off the last two minutes and you're like why because it's got almost a bit embarrassing coming on for two minutes because you're like if i wasn't good enough to get on and do something don't put me on for two minutes oh i'll be fuming honestly i'll be fuming get two minutes on the saturday knock on the coach's door monday morning ago so uh how are the two minutes, mate? Worthy of a start this week? <laughs> ben, I've got another question for you. This one is from Joe. Joe would like to know, Ben, how does it feel for the first time in almost 15 years to not be there with England? He was sat on a beach in Dubai, so not too bad. <laughs> I did get away. I did get away. How does it feel? Do you know what? I feel fine. I'm absolutely fine. I enjoyed watching it as a fan. I did. I loved it. But I'm so content, which is nice, right? So I feel good. Thank you. And I've got plenty of time off now. How good's that? I'm a semi-professional, basically, now. You're a semi-professional podcaster as well. Can you tell? Um, Mike, yeah. I've got a question for you <laughs> as well. This is from a different Tom. This is from a listener, Tom, who would like to know, Mike, who is the last person you want chasing after a highball that you're trying to catch? Yeah, good question. I think there's two ways you can look at it. You can either think, who is it someone you wouldn't want to go in, uh, you know, against in the air because they're very good? Or someone that you know when you land is going to absolutely <laughs> smoke you. So I think Alessandro Tuolangi, the amount of times I caught the ball and he absolutely killed me. He used to kill fullbacks for fun, didn't he? Like, so yeah, and he's just scary. Like, he's probably one player I'd be a little bit scared about. That makes total sense to me. Uh, I find the idea of being tackled by him absolutely terrifying. Here's a question, actually, Ben, it's quite a nice one. Maybe this is a good way for us to get into the England performance this is a question from Elliot Sampson Elliot says what will the England review meeting be like this week yeah no great question so you catch up with your coaches and then on a Sunday evening that's when the review will happen now Steve is very much take two key learnings out of it he doesn't want to take anything more than that because he doesn't think that's you know if everything's important nothing's important so what's the two key things that England need to improve on and get better this week and then it'll be straight on to then how do we now beat Wales at home. The reviews are pretty short and snappy, to the point, take away your key learnings as a team. But a lot of the a lot of the review is done on an individual basis in terms with the coaches. What did you do? What could you have done better? What can you improve? How are you gonna go about it? So it's done like that. But I think the England review this week, well, I think there'll be a lot of positives, you know. They've got a new defence coach, obviously, with Felix Jones. They've now got some footage to look at. And I'm guessing that'll probably be the, the crux of their their review probably will be defensively, really, because that's that's one area that, you know, Felix had a short period of trying to implement this sort of aggressive, flying off the line defence. And now they've got some footage to look at and given Italy scored three tries, I imagine that'll be the, the main focus of tidying up a few things there. Uh, what about you? What do you reckon, Brownie? What do you reckon they'll be looking at? I hope that they're, like it says, super positive because look, everyone's been hammering them for what, for four years about their attack. And actually, I was sat there going, oh, this is great. Like, I'm actually enjoying watching England for... This is no offence to ULM, by the way. You fucking what, Brownie? <laughs> for the first time in a good few years. Like, their attack was weird. I thought <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. Lads getting involved. The back three were getting involved. First time in a while. Uh, we talk about Ireland's layered attack. They had a bit of that going on. There was even forwards, you know, playing it away from, from rucks to, to speed that up. Yeah, there was, um, you know, some, some things going on with the defensive system, but... Yeah, we've been hammering them enough for about their attack. So I was buzzing that they showed a bit there and hope they can keep building on that. The defence stuff will come. like They'll sort that out. Pretty simple. I think that's just down to the new coach, isn't it? Yeah. Um, his new system. But yeah, I was buzzing about the attack. No, I agree, Randy, because like I say, the defence will be the probably the key bit. But actually, for me, I agree with you. England were getting the ball to the edge. They were playing some shape. They were tight. Tommy Freeman had a bit of a, a free, sort of excuse the pun, 
uh, Rome to sort of go looking for the ball. Henry Slade, obviously being that extra distributor. Fraser Dingwall, as I said earlier, I think he had a really tidy game. You know, likes to move the ball. Well, I thought England looked like they wanted to get the ball to the edge. They wanted to move it. And because we're not blessed with ball carriers, I think that's kind of where it needs to go anyway. So I was massively encouraged by it. And I think the team will be really pleased. It's the first time they've won the opening round in, in five years. And to just get off a winning start with everyone coming through the game unscathed and footage to look at, footage to grow. You know, you're playing at Twickenham this weekend. Like That's going to bring out the best in the group. Hugely encouraged. I thought George Ford was pulling the strings. Uh, Alex Mitchell looked really sharp. You know, ball fizzing away from the breakdown, being a threat himself. You know, if, if you look at their first try, England's first try, they go a number of phases and then George pulls the ball back out. To, it's like a real tight shape between the forwards. I think it's Will Stewart and, and uh, Ollie Chisholm. And he plays a nice little ball out the back to Henry Slade, who then turns the corner. And what I mean by that is he catches it sort of on the 45, for, for the listeners, 45, and then he comes off his left foot and what he's doing by that is he then squaring up. And as you square up, defenders have to either sit or they carry on moving. And they carried on drifting, which allowed him to play a lovely little short ball to Tommy Freeman. Through he goes on the outside. Great little offload, Elliot Daly, into the corner. So there was plenty of things I thought, yeah, like that. Yes, like that. And they still did the, the England things that you expect, which was get out of their half really efficiently. You know, no no rucks needed, just Mitch yeah. getting it out of the getting it off, getting it out there, save your energy boys. And then down there we went a lot more multi phase, which was pleasing. Uh, Italy away in that first game is not as easy as everyone would like to make out. They are not the Italy of old. They actually progressed a lot. They're also bloody hard to break down at their place, even when they haven't been as good as they are now. Everyone just expects you to to pump them, which isn't isn't the case anymore. They they picked up some big scalps the last few years. So that's that was tough little opener for England so yeah I think they should just be positive about all those sort of things that we're mentioning Coley and I spoke about actually on the, on a couple of podcasts um, is that the narrative with Italy is they aren't that strong or oh should they be relegated from the Six Nations it's all nonsense they are hugely improved and we're still the only country to um, not have lost them are we so happy days take that That's, that remains doesn't it it's never easy for Italy in the Six Nations but next two games Ireland away and then France away which is a cruel bit of scheduling. Like we know they're improved. How genuinely competitive do we think they can be in this Six Nations? It looks like they've massively improved their skill set. One thing that always would let them down was they're very athletic and passionate, but their skills were a bit, you know, let them down on the highest level. But they showed at the weekend when they started moving the ball, they took their opportunities really well. They obviously started noticing how narrow the England defence were and they exploited that on a few occasions. So for me, that shows real progression. And actually, their defence um, seemed much improved. I think they'll pick up a scalp or two in this Six Nations. Yeah, I could see them beating Wales, you know. Wales and Scotland, I think they could push hard. And you don't want them to have the one-off game where, you know, last year they nearly beat France at home. You know, they pushed them all the way round one and they've pushed England really, really close again. Um, I felt like England were always going to win. I, I felt like, they, like I say, I think England always had enough. Or I never felt like they were going to lose. But you just want Italy now, you know, they've got two really tough games, you say, in a row now. You just want them to be consistent with, like, let, can, can they keep being consistent, like you say, Brownie, with their defence and their commitment on that and, and not fade away with 20 to go. Keep playing with ambition with the ball because you want to see it. Because they can play that entertaining style, right? And I think that will be a key indicator, really, is in the next two games, like, what's reasonable, what's realistic? Like, is it reasonable to think they'll get blown away? Yes, it is. But realistically, what do they want? If they can score all tries, they can get a bonus point out of one of those games. That's an improvement, right? Right. Let's have another listener question here. Um, I don't mind who dives in on this one. It's a question from Adam. Thoughts on England's new rush defence? Will it work? 
against the better teams. It worked for South Africa, didn't it? That's a good. That's a good answer. <laughs> I think you. I think it definitely works. It is very hard to play against. But what people understand is it takes time. You don't become that aggressive off the line and tight, and you're trying to cut the ball off. All they're trying to do is get so high that the ball can't. You know, two passes, and that they feel like, oh my gosh. I can't get the ball to the edge. I've got to step back inside. You step back inside. Underhill's waiting. Benny Earl's waiting. Jackal you and, and dominate the collision. So it's a work in progress defence and it takes time. So don't judge them against Italy and, and some of those tries. At the end of the tournament, I bet England are flying off the line and causing havoc. So I mean, I, I think they'll thrive. The thing with defence is you could have any defensive system you want. But if you don't have the buy-in, the energy, the passion, the, you know, all that sort of thing that is what defence is built on, um, and how you get physicality and line speed and all those sort of things. If you don't have all that and the players wanting to do it and wanting to get into position as quick as possible and wanting to go up and absolutely smoke someone, doesn't really matter what system you have. And, you know, knowing those England guys and playing against, you know, them week in, week out, I know I know that they'll want to be buying into that and they love playing for England and will use all of that as their motivation. It was just a few system errors um, like we spoke about which will get ironed out so quick. I say quick, it still will take time, but they, they'll have all those things like Len spoke about it, like it'll be massive for them, I think. We are two down, we have one to go. We've done France, Ireland, and we have done Italy, England. And now we need to get into maybe the maddest game of all. Maybe the maddest game a lot of us have seen probably since that ridiculous game against Scotland at Twickenham, Ben, which we'll talk about in a minute. So if people weren't uh, across this game, it finished 27-26 to Scotland. Scotland were 27-0 up at one point. They got their third try after 42 minutes and still didn't get a bonus point try. Wales got two bonus points. What were your thoughts on this one? Because I could not see, at 27-0 then, I could not see a way back for Wales. Not only because Scotland were playing so well, but because Wales were abject at that point. It was bonkers, right? And that game that you referred to, the England-Scotland England, game, 38 all one that was berserk because we were so dominant first half, like absolutely on top. We literally stroke of half time, get charged down. They go the uh, McAnally, I think, scores or goes the length and scores, give Scotland a try to half time. You don't think anything of it. And we come out and then they get an intercept and then they got another try and then Johnson scored and then Darcy Graham. And it's like, what is going on? Like it was berserk, like absolute momentum swings. And you saw that at the weekend. Scotland were dominant. Wales looked passive, didn't quite. They were almost waiting to see how the game went rather than just take the game to Scotland first half. They just sort of sat back and waited to see, well, let's see what Scotland have got. And well, if you sit back against someone like Finn Russell, he's going to make you look silly. And they sort of sat back and almost was like, oh, let's see what they've got. Well, actually, they've got 27 points in them first half. And then they're thinking, oh, Christ, actually, we better we better swing some sh uh, shots here ourselves. You know what I mean? Like, we just sat back here. Let's have a go, lads. And all of a sudden, they're thinking, hang on a minute. <laughs> we might actually do this. It's bizarre because, as we mentioned, really, with, with all the teams, everyone's sort of sort of had different sort of starts. Some teams have come come in round one and absolutely look like they're flying. And others have sort of taken a little bit of time to to get themselves in. But I thought Wales, I mean, Scotland were outstanding first half, but Wales second half and you thought they're going to do it. And the tails were up and, you know, you could sense the atmosphere, which is, in my opinion, one of the greatest stadiums and the greatest places to play. And the, the fans are singing and you just thought, I wonder, one of the great, it could have been one of the greatest comes back ever. But, you know, then, then you think of it at the end, right? And Scotland are picking and going for the bonus point and they don't get it. And you think they're almost happy like, oh my gosh, we've won the game. Brilliant. But then they've got to be a part of them thinking, 
oh my God, how do we not get the Blumen bonus point? You know, Dewey van der Merwe, I think, you know, someone got their boot under. Unbelievable. Um, I think it was Dyer that got his foot underneath the ball, but Scotland have got to be thinking, how have we not got the bonus point at the end of the game? A part of you would feel like you've lost the game coming off that pitch in a weird way. In a weird way, you've won, but you'd almost feel like it's a bit of a defeat. I was sat there half-time with a little, <laughs> little smile on my face. You know, the Welsh love the English, uh, um, you know, suffering a bit. And it's the same for me with the Welsh, to be honest. But so I was sat there with a little smoke, but then by the end, I was actually going, I was actually calling, you know, cheering on the Welsh and hoping that they could cause an absolute um, shock just because of how bizarre it was. But yeah, it was like Wales first half, like you said, was so passive and standing off, but literally everything they did was going wrong, wasn't it? They were, like their kicking game was awful. They're kicking too long and then leaving no one in the backfield and Finn Russell, being Finn Russell and in defence, it was just almost too easy. They were just doing whatever they wanted. That counter-attack try, for example, Vander Merwe scored. Kind of like schoolboy rugby, wasn't it? It was like, it's too easy. But it was suddenly like, Wales got a shot of, you know, adrenaline and actually started chucking the ball around and you suddenly saw why um, Gatlin was, had picked those young guys and the young fullback and the young winger started, you know, getting their hands on the ball in space and, and Scotland were uh, hanging on, weren't they? But yeah, you'd come away as a, as a Scotsman from that going what's just happened here and yeah probably just relieved to get over the line but also disappointed you didn't get the bonus point because uh, you know that could be big as well in, in this tournament is there an argument Ben and I don't want to be harsh on Wales because they did extraordinarily well to turn that around and get back as close as they did is there an argument that they should have gone on to win that game because I was watching that and with 10 minutes to go I'm thinking with this momentum and with this crowd and with this amount of panic in the Scottish ranks there's only one winner you're right and I think that is for me right that is the beauty of youth and the confidence of youth. They almost had like this burden, this expectation, this like, you know, we're a young team and, you know, how are we going to go? And, oh, is it going to be all right against them? And as Brownie said, they were disjointed. The backfield was all over the place. The Van der Merwe try, it was like almost like Twickenham's try last year where you're thinking like, is, is anyone going to stop him? Like, surely someone's going to stop him. This is test rugby, right? And he goes and scores and you're thinking, but it's almost like the young group, it needed to be 27 nil down and be like, do you know what? Can't get any worse than this. Let's have a crack now. And then they sort of like started believing and then everyone wanted a piece of the action. Everyone wanted the hands on the ball and they're moving it and the confidence. And it was almost like liberating for them in a, in a strange way of being 27 nil down. I don't know that because I don't know what I said at half time, but it, I, you just sense that like confidence of youth. And then suddenly they've got the experience of like Wainwright catching that kickoff. Off he goes up the touchline and links up with Dyer. They, they nearly score there. It's just, I think Wales probably came off going, how do we, lo how do we lose? But then did you see, did you kind of see what happened after they got back within a score they went back to the Wales that was at the start of the game where they suddenly slowed the ball down you know they had a chance to move it um, off a dummy box kick and didn't and they went back to how they started the game and just went slow and, and kind of let Scotland get a stranglehold back on the game to kind of see it out whereas I think if they just carried on with that mentality and that intent to play I reckon they would have ended up winning that so actually they might come away disappointed thinking why did we stop why did we go back to how we were that first half when we were terrible? Because they could have won it. When a team is, you know, three points wins you the game, right? There's this this sort of like psychological challenge of do we play in chancer arms and then we get jackaled and it's a, you know, and then they, they score and then we've got to score a try to win it. And it's like, do we play in the right areas and what do we do? But you're right, Brownie, I just, the momentum was with them, the crowd, everyone was sort of like with it. And you're thinking, just go, just go, you'll get something. And Scotland looked more and more sort of edgy and didn't want to necessarily give away a pen and bit more passive and sitting off and not as so um i think they're going to come with that sort of free-flowing fast tempo and try and get around england's 
a high press defence this weekend. I do. I think that he'll he'll try and unlock that sort of that youth and that enthusiasm to to play the sort of I suppose traditional Welsh rugby really from back in the day, which is a which is a moving the ball and playing free throw and rugby. And I, you sort of saw that at the weekend in the certainly in the second half. Um, but I don't think we need to give more credit as well to Scotland first half as well. Like they 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 were good. Yes, it was easy at times, but you know they were still good. They hold the ball. Morty Faze, Finn Russell pulls a straight. He's, he's such a you know when you play against you know we mentioned Dupont these guys you know you talk about them all week take away their time and space get inside pressure on them force them to play the ball early and yet they still make things happen yet they're a big focal point of your game plan about stopping them yet they still pull the strings and you've got to tip your hat to players like that they just have time on the ball and make things happen and I just really enjoy watching you know he's so like he's so chilled as well which is the most frustrating thing doesn't matter what you do to him it's just like he's just having a laugh in, with his mates in the park like he's just he's just pulling strings just sat in the pocket doing what he wants whipping passes little kicks we played against him near the start of the season with Leicester and we, like you said we had a big focus on him because he's obviously so good and focal point for their whole attack and but we just it was just so hard to get near him even when he was playing flat to the line the ball would be gone before you could even hit him and be dropping players in or then next minute he's throwing a big miss pass then he's putting little balls in behind which was a nightmare for you know, me and the wingers. Um, yeah, he's he's, uh, he's a special player, isn't he? Well, it is, of course, England-Wales week now, and we're going to have Justin Tipperick on this show later in the week, aren't we, Ben? If you are a Wales fan, you may also enjoy the episode of the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club this week, where the sheriff, Ken Owens, is a guest. Um, Mike, you were off on the pantomime villain to Wales fans. Um, there's no two ways about it. Did you, because of that and because of everything that rivalry brings, did you love playing Wales? Oh my God, I loved playing Wales. Absolutely loved it. I think I struggled at the start of my international sort of experience coping with that. But then I kind of sort of relished in it. But they're just so passionate about rugby and they love playing against the English and beating the English. And But I felt the same against the Welsh. You know, I just wanted to beat them. I was passionate about playing against them. It was the best fixture of the season for me in an England shirt. Best atmosphere for for an away ground, in my opinion. Especially when the roof was shut, which was was in 2013. I mean, we came away very disappointed hiding at the end of it. But like, as an experience, it was like unbelievable. Um, I just remember the warm-up. Um, everything's going off they've got the band on there the choir and you're just looking over like this is unbelievable and the crowd are quite close to the pitch as well so you can kind of hear a lot of what they're being you know what's being shouted at you and the atmosphere and they just feel like they're on top of you especially with the um the roof shut yeah i loved it can you remember the tunnel in uh was it 20 <laughs> 2015 on the friday night and Robbo did the speech, right boys we're gonna bloody go out there boys and we're gonna we're gonna get stuck into these boys and we're gonna do this and that and then Robert doing his uh, Churchill speech and off, off we went out, out and then you Biz was absolute Vaselined up mate because Brownie always Vaseline himself up to wriggle out of tackles standing in the tunnel literally ready to like a boxing match mate what were you thinking then mate because I, I was nowhere near you I was thinking I was somewhere in the back yeah we spoke about it in a week hadn't we um, kind of as a team that you know the Welsh they like to keep the, the, the away team waiting you know a decent amount of time out on the pitch and it's quite a cold day as well, and we were just like, "Well, we're not having that. We we want to stay out, stay in there until they come out, and we'll all go out together." You know, and we're not going to mess around playing silly games. So we spoke about it in a week. It was all teed up, and me being me being revved up even more so against the Welsh. And I would always go out behind Rob. I did it for for club and country. So I was the next, you know, because he was captain. I was just behind him. 
pulled to a red rag like I was just fired up, ready to go. And he was just stood there, dead pad in the face, didn't, you know, no expression, no emotion. And I'm there behind him, like snarling and like just ready to go. It which made it look even worse because he wasn't he wasn't budging doing anything. So but yeah, it was it was funny to be looking back and you boys were playing it because they put it on social media, didn't they, the other week? Um Six Nations, so you all had a good laugh about that. But yeah, I loved it. The, the, what made the tunnel so good is Robbo's just such a nice bloke. Chris Robertson was like one of the nicest blokes ever. He just he just would have not enjoyed that situation. And Brownie, you wore your heart on your sleeve, mate. And playing for your country meant everything to you. And you, sh- you know, people show it in different ways. And yours was always through pure, like you know, you could see it in your face. And it, and it just, I love it, mate. It's a special moment, and people will remember that. And being an English player, the the worst two places you want to lose is Scotland and you and uh, Cardiff. But they're also the best places to win. Do you remember when we lost? And if no, if if other people don't know, like when you um when you arrive and leave the stadium, you've got to drive through Cardiff because it's right in the middle of Cardiff. So, like you said, it's the worst place if you lose because you're driving through the pissed up crowds and they're all giving you you know loads of shit at the, at the coach. And do you remember that time? Remember that time when we lost and we're driving back out and those people, those uh, those lads were headbutting the side of the coach. And then Marla got the coach door open, didn't he? He's literally face to face with this guy who's headbutting our bus. He drags him on the bus, nicks his glasses, kind of ruffles him up a bit and then lobs him off the bus and just just wearing his glasses. It was carnage, but yeah, it was it was a great place to win. Oh my god. And that was the opening weekend. It's been very enjoyable. Our little first Monday morning one. Do you want to wrap us up? Yes, I do. Thank you, Brownie, Mike. Thanks, Len. Thanks guys for having me. Um and I'll probably maybe listening from now on on my commute up to Leicester sounds good let's catch up soon awesome thanks lads uh, proper enjoyed that a cracking start to the Six Nations we've got my old mucker Dan Cole is back in on Wednesday Justin Tipperick is here on Friday you can listen ad free on Amazon Music remember to hit the follow button on your podcast app and follow us on socials too for the love of rugby Podcast Network.